don't know everything, Andy. Plenty going on right now in the Twilight Zone that we don't know anything about, and I think we ought to stay clear. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer, TGIF indeed. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour and always of a Friday, ably assisted by bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today? Doing very awesome. I felt like I was in my little twilight zone myself there for a minute. Or yeah, was so I? did I. <laughs> so yeah. did well, I. That's, we're going to be in the twilight zone for the next hour with the guests. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to be twilight zoning. And just a, a quick note of um, moral congratulations. It was a bit of a moral victory there. I watched the Seahawks struggle valiantly, almost pulled it off, pushed it to overtime before the Steelers prevailed at home. And it just makes me wonder with Geno Smith now and uh, the roster being what it is and the schedule being what it is, how the Seahawks will fare over the rest of the year. They're going to give people fits is my prediction. I think they've already been doing that. It's going to be a tough rest of the year, but I think we're going to be okay. I don't want to look too much into it. Uh, you know, they say good things about, you know, Russell and his quick healing time. So we're good on that. Glad to hear that. And I forget the name of the young gentleman, but you had a player who scared all of America when they had to cart him off the field there and they had him braced the taped over his helmet to keep him immobilized how is that going uh as far as i know i'm trying to look up the player's first name it's daryl taylor i believe he was one there you go, of, Mr. Yeah, taylor, yes. he's one of our linebackers and so forth uh, sorry defensive end uh i know it wasn't as everyone thought it was more serious but that's protocol for yeah. the nfl now these days so everyone's kind Good. of on edge anyways but that's super cool that they should do that no matter the case and so apparently he's yeah. uh got all of uh movement and so forth so he's doing pretty good but i don't expect him uh it was, we'll that was a scary moment watching the game yeah that's right he might be on injured reserve if he isn't already oh the reports are already saying that he should be playing on uh monday supposedly so seriously i know oh right so if we what can't warrior i know these guys man huh Almost as tough as hockey players. Oh, yeah, almost. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> or at least those cracking. <laughs> yes, that's right. Much better. <laughs> Today we're going to talk to Von Brashler there, who is, I don't know how recently, but he didn't always live in the Pacific Northwest, but he did a long time ago. And he's got quite the bio and he's got quite the book we want to talk about. Yes. The concept is time shifts, these time slips backward and forward. You find yourself in the past or you have eerie scenes of the future or what seems to be a futuristic scenario. What is all of that about? There are as many speculations as there are people to speculate about this arcane subject, quite mysterious kind of spooky and this is sort of a pre-halloween topic don't you think suzanne yes i do i do why don't you go ahead and give us the bio for von brashler and let's bring him on sounds good to me von brashler is an award-winning journalist and author of many books on consciousness including manifesting confessions of a reluctant ghost hunter and moving in the light he has led workshops throughout the U.S. and the U.K. and served on the faculty of the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies in New York. He recently relocated to the Pacific Northwest, where he graduated from UW and once worked for the Kent News Journal and Northwest Image Magazine, which he co-founded. He lives now on, I hope I don't massacre it, uh, Gwem's Island or Gwemis Island in the San Juans. I just call it the San Juans. And he joins us today from Anacortes to discuss time and time slips, as described in his recent book, Time Shifts. And so we welcome once again, Von Brashler. Good to have you back with us, Von. Thank you, Gary. And Suzanne, good to be with you again. What a fascinating topic. And although Gary and I did not finish the book by any stretch, everything we've read so far has been also very, very fascinating on this topic and has given Gary and I, 
quite a few hours of conversation as we're discussing, well, what if it's this or what if it's that or how does this or how does that work? So we want to hear from you about it and, um, and how you ever got interested in something like time shifts. Yeah, Suzanne, I, I had some encounters when I was very young living in Everett. And uh, they started like when I was like, like 11 or 12, when I had more, when I was working for a newspaper in Oregon when I was in my 30s. And they just, they just keep adding on. And, and for a long time, I think like a lot of people, I just discounted them. I said, oh, this can't be happening. It must be delusional. It must be my, it, my imagination gone wild. Uh, it must be something else. It must be deja vu, right? Deja vu. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, say, or they, I would, they used to say it was the vapors, you know, it's like, I mean, we've had so many little ways to cover up these anomalies. And I, I maintain that they happen more and more frequently to a lot of people who simply discount them because there's no way to, within our normal um, uh, frame of reference way to explain them. They're so, they're so odd you know they don't conform to our idea of a linear you know space and time they don't conform to you know our five perceptive uh skills uh we can't like uh internalize it within our our human mind and so we say well yeah i don't know what to think and so i think that a lot of people they slip in and out of time from, from now and then and um, they just they just discount it because they don't want to talk about it. No, they think no one will believe them. But I would like to bring up just like a couple of things. Deja vu. Deja vu experiences, uh, unaccountable uh, uh, moments in time uh, that you cannot account for. That you seem to have lost. You know, they're just they're just gone. It's like, where was I? You know, so I think a lot of people are experiencing time slips and they happen periodically to probably all of us. And it also explains a lot of odd things that we've long thought about like ghosts and aliens and things that just, you know, go bump in the night, let's say, but it's like, well, it kind of explains a lot of things. You know, uh, I, I've had the experience, and I think a lot of people have had the experience where they are uh, traveling a, a very familiar path, like to or from work, and all of a sudden they get to their destination and they say, how did I get here? I, I, don't, I don't remember getting here. And I'm not sure that that's what you're talking about. I, I think when we're looking at the the fabric of time and the, the dimensions and time being the fourth dimension, I, I think what the sense that I have from reading your book is that you're talking about something far more than just not feeling the time passing when you're going, you know, someplace familiar in your car. I think it's more than that. You're actually talking about being in either a different dimension or a different time altogether. And that's what I find so intriguing is how can you take a a peek at a different time? And um, do I have that right, Vaughn? Yeah, but but I think both could be true. You could actually be in a different time and you actually could be in a different dimension. If if time is, is truly a dimension, um, as all p- people often say, it is the fourth dimension. I don't know. I don't know who numbers these things, but it is, it is beyond our three-dimensional reality. So, you know, I mean, to go beyond a three-dimensional reality, you know, you're, you're kind of leaving the here and now, you know? And so I would say it's, it's a, um, it's a, a interdimensional or trans-dimensional experience. And, and yes, I am talking about these these gaps that we can't account for. Now, sometimes the mind wanders. It's true. And you kind of go on autopilot when you're driving. Other times you say, where was I? You know, I, you know, because I can't account for it. Or suddenly you're in a you're in a different place, or you had a different experience. Very typically, people who have 
conscious memories of these slips in and out of time, they will, that are legitimate. They'll, they'll say, well, it seemed like this place, but it was like, it was different. It was like older or it was newer, you know, it's like, it was like this place, but out of time. So I would suggest this, that time is looped. Time is eternal. Time is not linear. You know, the, the, the past, present, the future are probably occurring simultaneously, as many people have speculated. But that we have our focus perception on what we call the here and now. And this is all we see. And this is all we choose to see. And if you wanted to jump somewhere else on this vast conveyor belt that goes around and around and around, you'd have to focus your perceptive reality or your awareness on a different point in time and space. Most of us aren't willing to do that. I, I remember the movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and um, Jane Seymour. Did you see that movie? Oh, and I love it. I mean, is that to me is, is kind of like what you're talking about, where you you can mentally actually go yeah. to a different time yeah. the way uh, Christopher Reeve did to meet up with Jane Seymour in the movie. And so here he was in two different time frames, a yeah. more modern day and then an, an earlier time. Yeah. And what was so great about the movie was that he was living in two different times. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering, do you, have you heard of anything that compares to that movie where people are claiming that they have lived in two different times? Yeah. In, in my study, and I tried to get a lot of classical gold standard, you know, accounts of time slips that people just can't explain away. And I tried to get some modern stories and I interviewed people and I included some of my own, but I also looked at groups of people that throughout, throughout history have reliably been able to uh, travel beyond the here and now experience um, time slips, if you will. And one of the groups would be shamans, and shamans will typically do what they call dream walking or skin walking or um, spirit walking. And they go into a deep trance, which is very much like a, in the Eastern tradition, the, the, a deep meditation. And they will experience um, a, a out of time and space. And they will typically go back and they'll observe the ancestors as a witness, maybe not as a participant, but they're there. And then they would go into the future to see what, what the future holds for, for, for their people. And then I also looked at in the, in the um, Hindu tradition, there are the Samadhi mystics who teach their young very early how to do lucid dreaming. Now, lucid dreaming is an ancient technique for actually slipping in and out of time. And in lucid dreams, you can go anywhere, anytime. Um, the ancients, like you know, the Egyptians, um, the, uh, many of the ancient people thousands of years ago would have dream devils, and they would have attendants, and they would do this. But in the Hindu tradition, even to today, the samadhi mystics will actually go into a deep meditation and experience uh, traveling through, through time and space. And uh, so I, I would say that this is a case of bilocation and, and, and also time travel. Now, whether you are physically uh, active in both locations is, is, is question. Then we get into the area of um, parallel universes, parallel realities, which is a different subject. Yes, true enough, Vaughn. And you've laid a good theoretical bedrock for us. We stand on it. And yet, as I like to say, with our kind of format, it's stories that drive talk radio when we're behind the microphone. And we love our guests who can come on and tell a spellbinding story. It turns out your book, Time Shifts, has quite a few. 
there. And that's a beautiful thing. So over the balance of this hour, we've got time to hear some of these stories and to speculate on what might have been going on there. You can pretty much choose any one you want. I have one in particular I would like you to talk about. So if it's okay with you, shall we begin there? Sure. I'm talking or thinking about the young man and what an experience. This would have been a great episode of Twilight Zone, no question about it. <laughs> They were undergoing a field exercise oh. in making use of a map, finding yeah. out where they were, what was going on, and they proceeded to do this exercise under the command of their officers. What happened to them? It seems to me this happened back in the mid to late 50s in the yeah. UK. Right, Gary. That's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites because it has everything. It has, it has collaboration of several people who were probably... Um, believable witnesses um you have the the uh they they agreed on everything they saw they stuck to their story through the years uh it was officially documented and uh verified so I, this is like the gold standard this is a story of royal naval cadets in england in 1957 and they were given the task uh in their in, in their uh training to do map reading and it was a field exercise where they were sent to the Suffolk village of Kersey and they were supposed to use the map to find Kersey and report you know how easily they found it and and of course report back what they saw as as verification that they were indeed there but when they walked into Kersey these three Royal Naval cadets, these young men, um, were, were shocked because they seemed to enter a strange medieval village when they reached it. And very, it was very quiet and still there, except they heard the sound of, of a, what sounded like a church bell that rang very briefly. And then they saw smoke rising, like from a chimney, and then no more, it stopped. And then they noticed as they walked that nothing moved and there were no sounds. There were actually like uh, ducks in a pond, but they didn't move. Uh, they didn't see any birds flapping, any bees buzzing, nothing. They walked around and they saw um, signs that people lived there. There were buildings, but there were no people. They looked in the windows and the and, and, the windows were crudely whitewashed. There were no furnishings inside, and there were no people inside. The windows of the buildings were smeared with something that looked green to them. And they looked for the church, for the church bell, but they did not find the church. And they continued walking around. It was very, very strange, and they were very upset. So they, so they left. Uh, let's say the boys were sent to orienteer and they were very disoriented so they left and they they as they walked out they heard the church bell again which of course startled them because they couldn't find the church bell and then they came back and they reported on what they saw this was 1957 so they reported that using the map they found kersey but it wasn't the kersey they expected so they described what they saw and the boys were uniformly uh um in agreement what they saw and, and no one could tell them they were wrong and so they continued to tell their story uh and so in 1997 uh, a man who was involved with the society for psychical research in england uh, named a uh, andrew mckenzie wrote a book in 1997 he released a book called adventures in time in this book he interviews the boys he had interviewed them actually in the 1980s as part of the Society for Psychical Research. And he revealed that the way they described the village of Kersey looked more like Kersey as described 900 back to the year 900. At the, at the year 1900, this, this Anglo-Saxon village had been virtually wiped out by the Black Plague. And it was a very sad case. They smeared the windows green and the church bell 
well, the church was never completed. They determined that the church was never completed. Um, they, the boys had described a butcher shop and they said, well, Percy has no butcher shop. And they, and they, they checked back records and drawings and they found that there was a, a butcher shop um, that dated back to the year 1350, but ceased to even exist after 1790. So this is considered one of the gold standards in time slips. I can well imagine. Hey, how'd you like to walk into that butcher shop in the 14th century? That would be a pleasure. Oh, yeah, that would be gruesome. It would have, it would have their health regulations to observe, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's best if you're butchering for the animal to be dead, that sort of thing. There, it's just incredible. And I, I mention that because if you're, if you're actually having that experience, you're looking at a way of life and a perception of reality that would seem like science fiction in reverse. If they could look out and see these young men in what is 1957 to the rest of us, that would be a Twilight Zone kind of experience. It would be the outer limits because it would be very hard to find a context for that kind of experience. Yes, yes. And, th and there are other examples I put in the book that I would consider a gold standard. It's just been very hard to shake them over all the years because, you know, there's, there's confirmation. It's not just one person. Um, they, they've had an official inquiry in a study, um, and, and they had details of what they saw that they could not have known um, going in, you know, uh, little known facts like, you know, the butcher shop. One was um, Charlotte Moberly and her friend from Oxford University. And they went to uh, the, the Palace of Versailles in 1901. Do you have time for that one? Yes, sure. Yeah, we okay. Do. okay, so Charlotte Moberly was actually the, um, the dean of one of the colleges of Oxford University. And in 1901, Charlotte went with her colleague from the university, Eleanor Jordan. And they wanted to visit the Palace of Versailles and the gardens there. So there they went. But they found there were very few people on this particular day they chose. And in fact, the, the large garden, the Grand Trianon Gardens, were closed. So Charlotte and her friend Eleanor, they, they went to the Petit Trianon. Now, when they walked into this small, smaller garden, they, they saw no other visitors, just them. But what they did see were people who were dressed in elaborate costumes. And, and, and these were like ancient, you know, costumes they wore. You know, they could just tell the way they were. And, and there was a little bridge they walked over. And uh, the people didn't seem to recognize them or acknowledge them. And they just continued carrying on this, this, this weird... Uh, charade in these costumes so they they left you know they they couldn't make heads or tails of it they they noticed that that uh people were dancing around like it was a garden party of some sort and there was one woman who sat at an easel and she was sketching or painting uh what she saw but uh they ran over this little bridge and they uh, they left and they uh they talked about that and nobody believed them so they went back. They went back several times. But every time they went back, they saw nothing, nothing like before. So they published their strange encounter in a book in 1911. And they called it An Adventure. And so once again, the British Society for Psychical Research investigated their reports. The women would not change their stories. They agreed on what they'd seen. And what they identified was later believed to be Marie Antoinette uh, sketching or drawing at the easel, as she often did. They noted that going through records, an early French poet by the name of Robert Montague regularly organized elaborate costume parties there. Um, but they would have had no way to know that. It was an obscure fact in history. And they found that there was a little bridge that they had described. And now that was one of the catching points. People said there's no, they, they described walking across a bridge that didn't exist. 
But looking at earlier diagrams and descriptions of the gardens, it once was there. So once again, two very credible sources agreeing, confirming this, their stories. Uh, it was officially reviewed by people who were trying to derail what they said. And they stuck to their story and they were later proven to be quite accurate in what they saw. That's considered a gold story, Charlotte Moberly, Oxford, 1901. You know, it, it, we need to uh, go ahead and take our break. I, I am reminded that when you have a place, no matter where that place is, in time, a lot of things would have happened in a single location. And, and so in a, in a particular location, let's just take a house that's 100 years old. You would have had several different families living in that one house, people who came and went, people who moved in, people who moved out. And so all those realities are true during the period of the, of the here and now for each one of those families. But if it's the same place, could you be looking at different times of what happened in that house? It is, it is really an interesting idea to me that you could do that. And on the other side of the break, we'll, we'll talk about things like, you know, remote viewing and looking at different time frames and seeing what was happening in a particular place at a particular time. We are talking with Von Brashler. He is the author of many books, including one called Time Shifts. And when we return, we will find out more about Von Brashler and more stories. So stay with us. And thank you for listening to Manson Mitchell on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Von Brashler to talk about time shifts and the ability to slip into both the past and the future. On Saturday, Mary Beckman returns with all her versatility to discuss ways and means of being spiritual in a challenging world. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call 
the Twilight Zone. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. We've got our own Twilight Zone going on here today with Von Brashler, author of Time Shifts. Von, if people would like to find out more about the books you've written or more about you, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, they're they're listed um, online at Amazon.com. They're also on Barnes & Noble online. That would be the best way. Or they can let's go, go ahead and spell your name for everybody. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a little different. V-O-N, and my last name is B-R-A-S-C-H-L-E-R. Von Rashler. Yes, good. Thank you. Amazon and Barnes & Noble to find the books. And very intriguing things that we are talking about here today with regard to time being much more fluid than we normally think of it as we get up in the morning, we've got a certain amount of time to get ready, get to work, get on with our day, do our shopping, do our lives. And we're counting it down very linearly. But if we don't look at time linearly, then time is doing all kinds of funny things, isn't it, Vaughn? I think it is. And, and there are certain things I noticed as far as the stories I told, there's parallels or like, um, uh, you know, I mean, um, there is a um, um, commonality in some of these stories. And that, and that is, it's a shift in consciousness where you go inside yourself, you know, and, and then, then there's also a case where the time of day or the time of year seems to, to be important. It's like, Often these happen like in the late summer or early fall. They often happen toward the end of day when it's just like dusk. And then they also seem to happen in certain places. And so I kind of like the idea that uh, there's a blurring of time. Uh, I won't say timelines because I maintain there's only one timeline, but, but spots along the timeline. And so you'll be walking along and you'll see something and then it's there and then it's not there. And I think this is a blurring of timelines. And these seem to happen in certain places. I mean, it happened to me a lot when I lived on Mount Hood in Oregon. Mm, Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, I lived um, in a place called um, Brightwood. And it was called Brightwood by the, the Warm Spring Indians who used to uh, have a summer gathering there. They thought the the woods were somewhat enchanted. And the trees could speak, and they would gather there at Brightwood along the Salmon River, and it was a beautiful place. But uh, they, it, I, we, I did notice odd things happening there. I mean, once I noticed when I was walking in the woods, you know, suddenly I looked up, and there was like in full uh, costume, you know, with with paint. And feathers that seemed to be like a very tall Indian, an older Indian. And, and, I, and I looked at him and went, whoa. And I said, you shouldn't be here. And he looked at me like he was startled to see me. And then he disappeared before my very eyes. So, you know, I, I didn't want to talk about that to anybody because, well, I worked for the newspaper and I don't think people wanted me to think I was crazy. And so I just kept it, kept it to myself. And then where we lived in Brightwood was um, the one of the five um, Oregon trails. And this one was called the Barlow Trail. So if you wanted to go up Mount Hood, you could find Barlow Trail, the Barlow Trail Inn. It, it, was, it was the shortcut. It took like half a day off. And so there was a road that went in front of where my house and my neighbor's houses were. And it was the Barlow Trail. It was now a paved road. And along that road at dusk and a late summer day, on a couple of occasions, I thought I saw just briefly um, pioneers in ragged costumes standing beside uh, wagons. And they were like bone tired and hungry and gaunt. And they would sit down and rest their back against the wagon in the hot sun, and then they disappear. Now, I, I mentioned that to um, 
a neighbor once. I said, you know, sometimes you're walking. I, I tried to be vague. I said, sometimes, you know, you're walking along here and part of history, you know, kind of occurs to you. You're walking along the old Barlow Trail. I mean, it's right outside our, our, our houses, isn't it? The Barlow Trail. And I said, on a, on a late summer day, sometimes you could, you could almost, almost see the old settlers just pausing to catch their breath. And he said, I've seen them too. <laughs> and I said, ah. what, what, what? He said, yeah. well, we're not the only ones. So that was an interesting encounter. And, and so I go along with the theory that there are probably some places on the earth that are more uh, likely to um, have these blurring of the timelines. You know, if you want to call them a portal, I would say that more likely it's um, uh, a, a, it's a vortex, energy vortex. And it might have to do with uh, energy grids or it might have to do with earth plates. I don't know the science stuff. But listen, I think that there is like a, a, an, an earth energy anomaly in certain places, like, like the triangle, uh, Bermuda Triangle, for instance. And, and, in, and in these places of, of particular um, energy uh, anomalies, uh, odd things will happen there. I'm glad you brought up the Bermuda Triangle because that has fascinated me for decades. I've never come to even tentative conclusions about what, if anything, might be going on there. Tell us about the Bermuda Triangle from your own perspective. And do you know of any place in the Pacific Northwest, we're a Seattle-based show, anything in the Northwest that would resemble or be likened unto the Bermuda Triangle? I, I live... Um near Anacortes, Washington, in a tiny little San Juan island called Guaymas. You had it right, Guaymas. Almost And, right. and, and, and <laughs> the, the Salish Indians used to gather here, and before them, the Lummies, you know, and I think like maybe the Lemurians were once here. I don't know. But I have a friend who's going to check that out, you know. But here, here on the, where I live is the southeast corner of Guaymas Island. Now, uh, I've sailed there with my little sailboat, and I noticed something odd, and other people have discussed it, and I've verified that this is actually true. There is a, a, um, an anomaly there. It is a, um, it is a magnetic anomaly. Your, your mag magnets go a little wacky. You, know? you no longer can trust your, your instrumentation because there is an electrical uh, magnetic, a, a, let's say, electromagnetic anomaly on the southeast corner of this island. Now, I don't, I don't know if people have disappeared there and had strange uh, memories of what happened when they were briefly gone. I don't know. I mean, I haven't, haven't been here this long. Um, and once again, people don't like to talk about these things, do they? No, they don't, because nobody wants to be thought of as crazy or stupid or both. And yet there are these physical manifestations. If you go into certain places with a compass, it just seems to go crazy. Speaking of crazy, that would be one way of doing it. Or the tales, and you have your skeptics saying that statistically it's not all that anomalous. It's just it's a, a dangerous area because of the atmospherics. But the Bermuda Triangle itself is it really all that mysterious? Is there this concept of white water that I hear about so that pilots are terribly disoriented, sometimes fatally so? What do you think is going on there? We're free to speculate, Vaughn. Well, so what do you think it is? So I, I think it's hard to objectively look at these things. I mean, this is subjective um, anecdotal information. But pretty soon you see a preponderance, a pattern of information recurring you know, testimony of what's happened there. Now, I know, I know a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to explain, you know, what happened, just as people have spent a long time trying to explain away UFOs, you know, which, which now I guess our government says they're there, you know, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to talk about UFOs, but it's like, it's, it's, it, it, it's, common nature, I think, to try to come up with um, a logical explanation. But, but here's what I always think of. 
if you have no logical explanation, and, and I get this from um, uh, none other than uh, Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> if there's no logical explanation, if you've if you considered ever every logical explanation, and and I always think, well, there's nothing in your memory banks that would 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 you're, you're confusing here. Then, then you have to go kind of outside the box and and and, re, and suggest that maybe the stories are accurate. So I'm thinking that there's a a, a recurring pattern of of odd uh, time anomalies relating to the Bermuda Triangle. So I would tend to suggest that they might be accurate in many cases, and it may be magnetically related. Yeah. Um, just like in the San Juan Islands, there yeah. there just may be some magnetic reason why uh, why things are a little bit different there. Gary, yeah. you wanted to ask about a story in Liverpool. Yes, I did. There are these four young guys, uh, three guitarists and a drummer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now what happened to them? <laughs> the Stones. <laughs> yeah, they, well, actually, I was thinking of the other guys. But anyway. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're going to betray a prejudice in a certain direction here. We can have that conversation on another occasion. <laughs> so, But I did want to ask you, Vaughn, you include this story, which I thought it's brief but fascinating. I wonder how could you? How would you explain this to your loved ones? You know, never mind the media or the public yeah. at large. Yeah. A young woman visited Liverpool. She was there to see her mother, and she thought she would stop by a cute little shop and buy her some gifts. That's all she thought she was in for that day. What happened? Well, I found that there were a number of stories that came out of Liverpool in the UK, and they're all reported in the Liverpool Echo, which has uh, get collects all these little stories and they just tell them and you can think what you want, you know, and it's like this one came out of the nineties. I forget the exact year. I'm thinking like 97 or something. And this woman claims that she entered a Liverpool shop and she went down this street that she was somewhat familiar with, but she was asked by her mother to go to a certain place, a certain shop and find things for her and bring them back. But she didn't seem to recognize anything on this street on that particular day as familiar, familiar to her. In fact, you know, she was disoriented. But nonetheless, she went into a shop and she picked up a basket and she started to fill it with, with fill the basket with all kinds of goodies. And what shocked her was that the items she found were amazingly low priced. So uh, she went to the, the, to the counter and none other than the store manager was there. And uh, she presented a, uh, a plastic uh, credit card. <laughs> and he said, what's this? <laughs> and he said, I want money. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, it's not a lot of money. Can you just put it on the card? He says, I can't put it on a card. I need money. He had no idea what she was trying to give him as being a credit card to charge for her purchases. So she went home without anything. And she told her mother that there were some strange shops there. She did find a shop that had amazingly low prices and she'd filled up her basket, but the man would not accept payment. And so she, she, her mother asked her to explain what the shop was like. And she said, well, the, the shop that you described was closed several years ago. I remember it from the 1960s, but it's been since replaced there by a bank. So indeed, she went back and where she was shopping was a bank. I love wow. those stories. I really do. Wow. Now, if I play with that, let's let's take it as given. If I'm in this shop and they don't know what a credit card is, what do you mean here? We need cash. And you present them, let's say she, and she didn't, as I recall the story, she did not have cash on her. Most of the time when I shop, neither do I. So I understand that the plastic world anymore. Mm -hmm. So she goes in there, offers the card, it's rejected out of hand. Mm -hmm. And then let's say she has enough money to cover at least one or two of her purchases. What money would she be pulling out 
because there wouldn't be any Victorian symbolism there. It would be, what if it, she gave some coinage included for payment that had that year or a recent year rather than being vintage currency, right? Can you imagine the reaction? It would scarcely have been more availing for her to do that. It would have been more confounding for all concerned. That's my bet. Shades of um, Christopher Reeves in uh, Somewhere in Time where he's staring at a penny. And then he stares at the penny again accidentally and it shocks him back to where he was because that penny did not live back then. It, it was out of time, out of place. Yeah, that whole idea of out of time, out of place. You, you said at the opening of the show that you think this happens to people a lot and they dismiss it. And I have to agree with you because so many of the things that you wrote about are things that have happened to me. And I have just dismissed so many of them as, well, that's crazy. I probably didn't happen the way I think it did. And I, I just let it go. But, you know, what, what if we are slipping in and out of various time frames and um, and we're just not really recognizing it unless we are controlling that because you said that one of the things that happens is a shift in consciousness yep. and i did a, a a past life regression to a cd where i i got extremely extremely um rested, very quiet, very meditative, and was asked a lot of questions on the CD where I felt I was in another time and another place. <clears throat> and I can remember what was there vividly, even today. And so, you know, the first question is, well, did I just make it up? Am I crazy? Was it really a past life? It brings up so many questions that we cannot answer easily. They just don't fit into this reality. And, and so I think that with that idea of I, I must be going crazy, that that's what causes people to dismiss a lot of the occurrences that happen to them. I agree with you. And, and, and we have one term that has come into popular usage to explain away a lot of it. We just shrug our shoulders and we say it was the deja vu moment, you know. And what is a de uh, what is yeah. a deja vu moment, you know? So I, I I had a chapter on this in the book. I mean, it's like people eventually think, oh, I've had that, but I, it was just a deja deja vu moment. So you have a moment where you say, well, um, gosh, none of this looks familiar to me, you know. I mean, how did I know, you know? But but but. And then you have a, a situation sometimes when you, you meet somebody seemingly for the first time and you say, darn, you seem so familiar. And, yes. the, and the other person says, you too, you know? Yes. And so you say, well, let's try to figure this out. So you do this, you know, I mean, you try to rationalize how this could be. You say, well, have you ever, where have you all lived? You know, no, 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 not like you couldn't have met there. Where'd you go to school? You know, where, where have you vacationed? Were you ever on television that I saw you? You know, were you ever on the radio that I heard you? Were you ever in a magazine I might have seen? And then pretty soon you, you go through all these possible explanations and you realize there's nothing, nothing in your memory bank, no frame of reference for you. So this is not a memory that you really, really have, you know, unless it's a past life. But, but you know, it's like, this is kind of crazy because you remember this people much more intimately and, and, if, and, and, and in a contemporary sense than that. So you say, well, this is strange. It's like a deja vu moment, you know? So in the last five years, I've had two uh, experiences like that. And one, we actually did figure out that we knew each other decades ago, like 30, 40 years ago, where we, we asked each other enough questions where we finally concluded we were working at the same place at the same time. Yeah. And so that was one. But then the other one was with somebody here in Florida 
that no matter how many questions we asked each other, we just weren't coming up with anything. And yet we felt like we knew one another. Yeah. And, and so it, it's just weird. It's just weird. So I was going to say, it also explains, you know, if you're out wandering in time and space, you've, you've probably seen them and they might not have seen you or they might've seen you and you didn't see them, you know, because a lot of these stories that I've encountered, people did not seem to be observed by those they encountered in this new environment. There were cases like the woman in the shop, you know, who obviously did have an interaction. Yes, right. But not all the time. Not all the time. It's, it's right. rare. It's rare, you know. And we, we do hear from people from time to time who claim to be let's say masters of life or something, you know, very extremely adept people of, of uh, an advanced description. And they will, they will claim that they could be two places at once simultaneously interacting. And, and, uh, and, and that may be true. I mean, I have no way of explaining, explaining it, except that it happened to me when I was like 11 years old, you know fascinating i hope that you have great success with this and all of your books next time we have you on bon and i think that would just be a blast looking at at your uh your interests and your ability to express yourself and to frame stories it just makes it a joy to read your work let's talk next time about manifesting maybe in the new year People are, are manifesting something all the time, whether they know it or not, whether they want it or not. That is the innately creative nature of thought. And next time, why don't we get into that and see how we can turn that to best advantage? Love to. I, I think the two topics are somewhat related. It's all developing human consciousness. Developing Excellent. human yep. consciousness. We love That's that. That's a lot to chew on, and we'll do it again with Vaughn Brashler. Vaughn, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to get back in touch with you. It had been several years since we had you on. We will not be so remiss in the future, so let's do it again early in 2022. Thank you. I love 11.50 a.m. All right. Stay tuned for the Christine Upchurch Show. And at one o'clock Pacific time, we have American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. And we'll pay a visit to the Morton Arboretum outside Chicago, Illinois. Lots going on at holiday time. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We welcome you to join us tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on AM 1150, when our friend Mary Beckman joins us for some metaphysical Q&A. Make this the start of a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>